what you want You can't always get what you want But if you try sometimes Well, you might find Good morning and welcome to Visionaries. I'm John LaBelle, your host. You'll find us here on the Progressive Radio Network, prn.fm, every Monday at 10 a.m. That's 10 a.m. New York time. It could be any time you're part of the world. You can find our back shows at podbean, no, visionaries.podbean.com. And uh, be sure to download our new app to your iPhone or Android, and you can listen to uh, Progressive Radio Network anytime on your phone. So today I've got two guests, and one of them is my beautiful opera singer wife who's with us in the studio. And we're going to talk to a minute in a minute to Rita McMahon, founder of the Wild Bird Fund. But I want to first start with a little story of how we found out about the Wild Bird Fund. And my wife, Alyssa, and I were driving home, and we're pulling under a, a highway overpass. And there's, I see there's a rag flopping around in the road. There's traffic everywhere. She says, no, pull over. That's a bird. And she gets out and take it from there. Oh, I, I picked up the... Um the pigeon, I knew it was a, it was a juvenile, and um, brought it up. And of course, my cats. I have three cats in the, in the <laughs> apartment, and they just they smelled that right away. But we had, uh, luckily, a nice uh, cage that they couldn't get to it, and then I covered it. And I didn't know what to do because I said, what do I do? I used to live in Maine, California, and work at sanctuaries and took care of so many animals that I would find in the road, even a kestrel hawk at one time and bluebirds and you name it. I was always traveling between um, my places where I would have my lesson in Sacramento, then I would go up to the foothills where all the wildlife was, and then I would, on the way back, if I, when I was going to my lesson, whenever there was an injured animal, I would take it to the vet and promptly write a big check because I couldn't take care of it. Um, but I did take the. We did. We looked up about the wild bird fund. So we yeah. we have this this bird at home in a cage, and it's getting liquids through a dropper. It's not eating, and. Wait a minute. Let's look online. Yeah. Oh, my God. Right here in Manhattan, first thing in the morning. So, Rita, how are you? And tell us about the Wild Bird Fund. Hello, John. Hello, Alyssa. Hi. <laughs> the uh, What year did you bring that bird in? Uh, just about a year and a half ago, two years ago. Okay. Like that. So it would probably be 2016. Yes. Right? Yeah. And you don't know what name it was under. Was it under your name? Uh, well, or? it was under my name. And uh, when I wrote, uh, actually, I have a stage name. It's my name. It's Alyssa, but uh, my name is Brenda Grimaldi. That's who writes the checks. <laughs> so um, I was so grateful and so happy. And it had lead poisoning. I know that it has some. And it was still. It was a juvenile, and it was in trouble. But I, I don't know subsequently uh, how it turned out. I just I'll have was, to see if I can find out for you. I oh. will. I will. We named the birds after the people who bring them in. Oh, so oh, it so it'd be, be other some mix on your name. So it'd be hopefully. Alyssa or Brenda, or yeah. it yes, might be John Lobel. So I can't be. No, sure. no, 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 no. I wrote the check, but I brought it in earlier. <laughs> oh, you, no, I, I brought, brought it with in. you. Oh. But anyway, just just before uh, Rita goes on, we uh, uh, Alyssa finds 
a bird in our neighborhood uh, baby on a fence squawking away, and she decides it's in trouble. We bring it up there, and whoever's there is it just before closing. He said, no, that bird's fine. Take it back. Within an hour, we had brought it back. It was right back on its she fence said, telling yeah. everybody. <laughs> she says, it's a fledgling. It's going to be doing where it's, where it's going to be doing its thing. But it was so much traffic. I, and, and it was falling asleep in, in, in on a little fence. And it was just people were walking by. Of course, uh, and I was so nervous that it, something was going to happen because I've seen it so many times in the country. So when, But they, were, they told me they admonished me and said you have to take it back now I said okay we'll, we'll take it back and like a good girl I took it back and and wished it well and and I'm sure everything turned it out was just right fine. back on its fence telling everybody yeah, it was, about its adventure yes <laughs> <laughs> so Rita tell us about the uh, wild bird fund what is well, it how did you found it what does it do well we treated six thousand just about six thousand patients last year oh, oh my god and so we're very busy because new york has a lot of wildlife and mm-hmm. we're the one you know sh- shop in town the one uh veterinary facility that can deal with wildlife so there are a lot of caring new yorkers who pick these animals up and they come from the five boroughs and they go to great lengths to get help for the injured animal they have found so we we do a lot of business. It, business is good. So let right? me just describe Rita's place. You go in there, and so basically it's an emergency room filled with injured patients, but it's so alive. The birds are hopping around, and they're all— A pelican, know, a chicken. You yeah, know. <laughs> quite social. There was—I don't know if it's still there. It was a chicken that loved to be picked up and carried around. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's a happy place, even though it's dealing with difficult problems. The energy there is beautiful. You have great energy in that place. And That's great vets. It's the people who work there and volunteer there, they all came because they wanted to help. All of our staff were first volunteers, so they put in many hours before they got the training to become staff. So they really do care. There's nobody there who just came for the job. Yeah, they're great. They're wonderful. Great. So tell, uh, tell our audience where you're located and what you do and don't do and how they can interact with you. The, we're located at 565 Columbus Avenue in a beautiful landmark storefront. Uh, it's rather large on the face of it, but small inside. Uh, it's blue, and it's just north of 87th Street. And people come uh, for any time from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. They will bring in an injured bird, whether it's in their bare hands, a, a sweater, a box, or a paper bag. Paper bag is actually a very good bird ambulance. They can't hurt themselves in a paper bag. And they come in, and they found the bird, and, and if the rehabber is able to see them at that moment, they'll come in and actually be there for the exam. And they might even hold the bird in case it needs a splint or a blood test, so they can be very, you can be very involved if timing is right. And the bird stays with us. You hand the bird over to us, and we our job is to do our best by it. And... In that, sometimes the best for the animal is, in fact, euthanasia, which is hard. But the state statistics are 50% go free and 50% will die or be euthanized. You have to realize that whatever animal is able to be picked up, it's a wild animal, and it doesn't want to be picked up, and its own urge is to get away from you. So if someone who is not trained can actually pick up that injured bird, it's in very bad shape. 
But our success rate is good, and as you said, you see them walking around and having a, a jolly time. Um, particularly, you'll see the chickens and the domestics because they're out free. Our more patients that are, are protected species are, are behind closed doors because they have to stay wild. They can't react with people. But the domestics, the chickens, the roosters, the domestic ducks, uh, the peacocks, they can all interact with people. And so it's fun to have them just walking around. And it's lovely. You look in the window and you see them. You see uh, fancy pigeons in the windows. You'll see the turtles in the windows. You'll see ring-neck doves in the windows. And all those are up for adoption, mm. and which is great. They need a new home, and hopefully, you know, we can find it for them. The animals we don't treat are the rabies vector species. Mm-hmm. And because we have, to, for rabies vector species, you have to have outdoor pens away from people because they, the animals can have rabies. So what uh, animals are those? Those are generally um, raccoons, raccoons, skunks, bats, and the other animals we don't treat are parrots, the pet birds, the ones that actually have many associations available to find them homes and treatment. Now, do you do, so you mentioned these other animals, do you do animals like squirrels other than birds or just birds? Yes, squirrels. We have two opossums in-house right now. Um, Squirrels, opossums, the turtles come in. We've only had one snake, Uh, not too many snakes. Chipmunks, Mm. woodchucks, uh, they all come our way. Flying squirrels. So um, I was uh, recently reminded of the Wild Bird Fund and seeing a story about a mute swan in the papers uh, a month or so ago. Do you want to tell us that story? Oh, I think that was a little less than a month ago, and it's probably Xena. She's a juvenile swan, meaning she isn't all white. She has some uh, tan patches in her feathers that she'll slowly molt and become all white. She was frozen in the lake in Mm. Prospect Park. Mm. Oh, no. And a very brave park attendant went out with a rowboat, pushing the rowboat out over the ice so that she wouldn't fall through. And she brought out boiling water and a chisel and Mm. was there on her knees, chipping away at the ice that kept this bird and two other young birds, uh, young uh, swans. They were stuck. They were frozen into the ice. And she chipped them out. And then they were swimming free. But Zena was not doing well. She is not waterproof. She is just about now. But she was not waterproof. So she actually got wet by being in the water. Mm. And that's a very dangerous hypothermia. She was having hypothermia, meaning her body temperature just went down too low from being in the ice and getting wet. If if a waterfowl has, their, their, their feathers are really like armor. It protects them from the water. They can be in the water, and the water just rolls right off. But if there is dirt or a damage or a wound, the water will seep in and then go along inside the feathers and make the bird very cold in Mm. weather like this. So she was not, her feathers were not in good enough shape, and she got too cold. But she's doing quite well now, and she has... Two other swans that she's hanging out with who are mature. And another interesting fact about the birds when they come to the wild bird fun, let's face it, for these animals, they they probably think of it as prison. But in that prison, they see other birds of their own kind, 
And most of the conflicts that you would see in the wild do not exist at the Wild Bird Fund because it's, I, I don't know what their mental set is. It might be it's us against them, the prison wardens. <laughs> but um, they, they get along. They're far better behaved with each other in the Wild Bird Fund than they would be out in the wild. Right. So do I gather you have an upstate place for the release process? No, we do not. Uh, how we do it is is with partnerships with rural rehab centers. Okay. So the Raptor Trust in New Jersey, we send most of our raptors out there. And for waterfowl, we send most of our waterfowl to two places on Long Island, the Evelyn Alexander Wildlife Rehabilitation Center and Volunteers for Wildlife. And they have outdoor pens. So when the animal is ready to go... To be released, they need to be outside and flying again to get their strength up and right. to be sure they're, they're really fit for release. So they'll go to one of those three places and then have another week in an outdoor pen, really getting their muscles in shape before they go free. Good. So I want to ask you uh, more about your background and how people can help. But before we do that, uh, let me ask Alyssa what? to tell her hawk story. My hawk uh, story? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I was going to my lesson one day, and it was, like I said, it was a 50-mile drive. And I was in the, I, I was driving by, and I saw a, a kestrel on the side of the road just sitting there. And I thought, and I passed by it. It was on by the curb, and I went, oh, that doesn't look good. And so I, I, I made a U-turn, came back, saw it. It was dazed. So I always carry towels and things in my car. I never know what I'm going to rescue. And I went right up and put my, put the towel around it and picked it up. And it's, it's paw, it, 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 I could tell it was holding on to me, but not very, very well, because it, it was dazed. So I got in the car and drove one-handed all the while down the hill and he started looking at me. He's all of a sudden he started getting cl- much more clear in the eyes, male or female. I, th- I think it was a ma- I think it was a male, and um, and and right when I was almost ready to get to the vet, um, it um, it was. I said I need to pull over, and I was in town actually, uh, but Sacramento's not like New York. So then I uh, uh, pulled into a place and. Because he, he started to clutch my hand a little bit more, but he was never afraid, and he never hurt me. The claws I knew were he was, like, re, really waking up. So then um, I, I stopped the car, and I, and I uh, took the blanket off, and uh, he flew to the window. Now, the window was rolled up, and he clutched onto the side of the window, and I looked over at him, and I said, so how are you feeling? And he just kind of looked at me, and I said, you want to go? Uh, I think you know the way home. So <laughs> I just said, okay, I'm going to let you go. And then I rolled out the window, It was, uh, and he looked at me one more time. I swear to God, it's almost like he said, thank you. He, like he looked over at me, and then he flew away. And I watched him go, and he had really good flight. And uh, I was really lucky that... Uh, I didn't want it to get ugly in the car because I was in close proximity to him because I'd handled a lot of birds when I lived in Maine and worked at a bird sanctuary up there. So um, I, I knew my limitations and what I was supposed to do, but I'm so glad that uh, he was alert. He was ready. 
Oh, that's wonderful. Isn't that a great story? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure he was grateful, but he forgets right away. You know, as soon yeah. as they leave, yeah. I think they're going, oh, that was that was some dream I had. Yeah, I what know. was that all about? Well, you know, there was, um, we live in a place called Waterside Plaza. So it's four 40-story buildings and a two-acre plaza in Manhattan, 23rd Street in the East River, or 26th Street in the East River. And, uh, you know, the signs everywhere, the guards, don't feed the pigeons because they don't want too many of them. So uh, Alyssa encountered a pigeon whose legs were tangled up with fishing line. So we got, um, she got a little, uh, you know, tiny scissors, and we uh, held on to it. She cut it free. Next time she went down there, it was coming right over. <laughs> oh, yeah, all the time. It was so grateful. I just uh, cut it off, and, uh, uh, the fishing line off, and examined the legs. They weren't bleeding. Everything was fine. It was just in danger of getting embedded. And uh, and I will say one thing that annoyed me, because I, uh, I knew I had uh, this bird was in trouble. And there was a tenant who saw what I was doing, and, she, and I will say this person happened to be a vet. And this person said, they're just uh, like rats. Leave it alone. They'll get it off. I don't think too much of uh, people who who make judgments yeah. that's not based on knowledge. Right. So Pigeon right. is really a noble creature that has served us for 10,000 years. We don't see the service they're doing now, but they actually still are serving us. But for for years, for centuries, they were our food source, the only food source sometimes we had, uh, a meat source, I should say. We brought them over with us to the United to America. Mm. Uh, let alone what they did during the First and Second World War to save hundreds of lives as a communication. Share uh, me saved 120 Americans from Queens from the 66th Army Division. Um, right now, what they're doing is they're testing when a bird comes in, a pigeon particularly, but all the different birds do get lead poisoning. We test them for lead poisoning, and we note the neighborhood. And with that information, we get to report where, are the, high, where the high incidence of lead poisoning occurs in mm. New York City. And what does that mean for humans? It means that you can track and make sure that the kids who play in those playgrounds are being tested for lead. So what's the source of that lead? It's not in the gas or the brakes of cars anymore. Do you know what the current source is? Is it the old paint? It has not been documented fully, but the general suspicion is because of all the new building in New York. What comes with new building? Demolition of old building. Ah, and in that demolition, the dust comes. But we have an, all species of birds, from migratory birds to sparrows to swans, have lead poisoning. Hmm. And uh, lead just doesn't leave. Right. So we've gotten lead out of the gasoline and out of our brakes and out of many things, paint and such. It's still here. And it is permeable. It goes through and it stays. It doesn't yeah. leave. And so the dust from construction, the lead that was in the gasoline is still in the water. Mostly right. waterfowl suffer a great deal from lead poisoning. Mm. So uh, I'm John LaBelle, and this is Visionaries. And my guests today are Alyssa Grimaldi, 
who's joined me in the studio to help interview Rita McMahon, who is a co-founder of the Wild Bird Fund. So, Rita, tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into this, and uh, maybe we can then go on to how our listeners can help uh, support Wild Bird Fund. But tell us how you happen to be doing this. Well, as a kid, I, I grew up in Connecticut across the street from a veterinarian. Oh, we're in Connecticut. In New Milford, Connecticut. Okay. Northwestern corner. And it was great for me. It was very interesting. He, any wildlife that I brought to him, he would treat and he would show me how to take care of it. Mm. So I'd have a great variety of all different birds and rabbits. And I had my own vet and I worked with him for several years that way. And he very happily set me up. And the Bronx Zoo would uh, chime in. We'd call them up to get advice as to what the diet would be. And they were fabulous. They were a great help as well. And so that was in my childhood. And and then, really, I didn't do anything until much later. And my career, I went to school for art history. But I ended up as a consultant for broadcast and cable television networks. Mm. And in that time, there was a day when I found a Canada goose on the side of 684, which is a large six-lane highway. And he was right where the cars were passing. His feathers were being blown. His wings were lifted up. I stopped my car, and I put him in the back seat, and I brought him back to New York to where I was coming. And I could not find any place that would treat him. Here was a goose that was very sick and not standing, just laying there. And three days, I'm calling and calling. Again, the Bronx Zoo helped me and got me connected with one person, but still there was no place in New York that would treat wildlife. So I ended up and took it to the Animal Medical Center, put down my credit card and said it was my pet. Would they please treat it? And they took it, and they gave it to me back to me the next day and said, he's fine. Now you have to find a wildlife rehabber who will take care of it. But I'd made so many calls, I knew where everybody was. So I put him in the car and drove two hours north and handed him over to a wildlife rehabber who dealt with waterfowl. Mm. The next day, that woman called me back to say he had died. Mm. So not only was there no place, even the main veterinary hospital did not know what to do with a wild goose. And, And or didn't bother to do the testing or... It just wasn't their thing. So through that time, I got connected with a woman by the name of Vivian Sokol, who's rather famous in the bird world. And I would drive her around, and she would give me her pigeons or her sparrows, the starlings, the unprotected birds. And I worked with them, and she trained me a lot. And then Animal Hospital, Animal General, didn't like dealing with Vivian, and they supported me by doing, having all the veterinary care that I could want. And with them, we founded uh, the Wild Bird Fund. And then when the numbers started growing, once we went on the Internet, then the calls exploded. The numbers of people coming with injured birds were more and more and more. And at a point, I had 60 birds in my apartment. Ah. And that was just before we opened the center. We knew we had to have a dedicated center just for wildlife. And we opened the Wild Bird Fund Center in 2012 thanks to very generous help from one particular volunteer. 
Right. Oh, my goodness. What a terrific, terrific background. It's a lot of volunteer effort. So many people care and try. We have over 248 volunteers, um, and they are dedicated. They come. I mean, we have the lab people who come on Thursdays and Saturdays, and they're there every week. Uh, We have grant writers who come every Saturday, like for six years. Allie has been with me every Saturday morning to work on grants. Um, the staff is, we're volunteers first. The many volunteers that come in every day, uh, it's thousands and thousands of volunteer hours from all walks of life, which is wonderful. And then the people who come and bring the animals, the greatest amount of our, the greatest percentage of our support comes from individuals who have brought animals or who care about wildlife. Right. Uh, so we are extremely grassroots. Great. So I just want to um, tell our listeners, uh, at least it was our experience, we uh, bring the bird in. There's no charge. And since we're able to, we make yes. a donation a very because good we're one. so impressed with what you guys are doing. That's right. You guys are, are it's just, it's just, uh, you just, energetically, it's just amazing. Yeah, you know, I've been, uh, when I came to New York, because I'm a California girl and lived in the country, and then I came to New York and I said, where are my kind of people? My kind of people <laughs> do this stuff. <laughs> so Rita's my new best friend, I'll tell you. <laughs> but it, it's so good in, in, in our city when, when we look to wildlife or to, to, to watch it, to enjoy it, to appreciate it, and to help it. Right. It, it's, it's something that counters what we may experience as the not-so-positive aspects of being in the city. It brings us to nature. It connects us to nature. And we really need to do as much of that as possible um, to make us, I don't know, whole again, I feel. You know, it's kind of interesting. Uh being that I did not grow up here and and was in uh, different, uh, less populated part of the country, and I was I, I used to say to my husband, "Look, the pigeon, you know, he's on the sidewalk, he's minding his own business, and the people just walk by them and practically kick them." I said. I, I can't do that. I, I always like, I see a picture and I walk around it. And I said, I hope you're having a good day. I, I, I don't understand that. You know, like when I got that pigeon, when I rescued the pigeon, there was a girl on her bicycle looking down at it. It was struggling. It was on its back. And I, and I saw something on the ground and she kept looking at it and looking at it. And I'm thinking, why don't you help it? So I ran right out and picked it up. Uh, no, it, I don't know. I, I just don't think that way. No. It's interesting to see how people do react or relate to the animals that they yes. encounter just walking down the street. Yes. Those who get out of the way of the animal or don't disturb it while it's feeding versus people who plow through. Um, there's a respect that we need to have for the environment and for our fellow residents. Right. Uh, yeah. we, we really have bulldozed through. and they, New York is on the Atlantic Flyway. And that is a major migratory route for so many birds. 355 different species come through here. And that's just about half of all that's in North America. And we have put up obstacle courses to a place that they called home long before we came around. And while we have these wonderful bodies of water and the parklands, 50,000 acres of parkland and marshland, then we also put up the obstacle course of our tall buildings. 
and they do not see them as we see them, and they have horrible times colliding with them or, or getting involved with our debris, our trash, hit up by cars or bicycles, attacked by dogs and cats, and the pollutants, the lead poisoning, the litter, all those things really make it hard for those animals. And we did it. Yes. 90% of the cases we see can be directly or indirectly linked to human activity. Mm. It's, it's a bit of a, it's a crime. It's a shame. Yeah. You know, what I remember when I, I lived in Maine for almost five years and I worked at the sanctuary there and I was always uh, the influx of uh, uh, juvenile ospreys. And I remember this one particular time when I was there and they brought them in. It was the 4th of July and the fireworks scared them out of their nests, their nests and they could not get back up to their nests and they had to re- rescue them and then put them in the sanctuary and finish raising them so they could then be... Um, set free but it was so hard on 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 how many that uh, that were coming in it's it's terrible when you think of what a terrible it'd be the end of the world as far as they're concerned when they yes. see those fireworks so yes. they jump from the nest and then they get away from their parents and it's making them orphans that's right and That's we can't raise them as well as their parents can, even, and and just what they miss. They they love their parents. Their parents spent so much time raising them. It's a great loss, and and birds do mourn. Um, so, even here in New York, New Year's Eve is are the fireworks in the park, and I love fireworks. But the main reason I go is to see if if we're going to have another you know accident. So we we have seen a duck fly into a tree, <gasps> smash, and fall to the ground. Oh, no. And so I pick it up, and we take it home. Mm. Uh, also, any other times, we've we found animals that were displaced, basically young, that were displaced because of fireworks, that they, they flew the coop before their time. You know, I have a story about... Um one of the fishermen in, in Maine, uh, uh, he was doing um, uh, work for uh, my girlfriend's father owns the largest lobster pound in in Maine. So one of the fishermen was out on his boat one day, and he happened to see an eagle that was in the water. The reason it was in the water is because there were two young boys with a paddle trying to hit it over the head <sighs> and drown it. Oh, God. And uh, he rescued it. It sat on his boat all day long drying its feathers, and it's kind of like it knew it saved him, and it stayed on his boat, and he would, he gave it a, you know, fish or something, like four or five hours, and was very happy to be there, and then when the fisherman was just about to go in, it flew off somewhere to to uh, sleep for the night, and it's such a touching story, but you know, it's like everywhere sometimes there's just people that have total disregard for these beautiful creatures. There's also, I do think, it's a great deal of education. What we don't know, we often fear. Right. And if we could know them better, we would hopefully relate to them more and and be respectful and or even get them help. Yeah. Um, and when you're disconnected from nature, which 80% of the population is now living in the urban environment, 80% in the world is in urban environments. Their connection to nature is far removed now. 
You know, um, one time I picked up a, a bluebird. It had been hit by a car I, or it just got bumped or something. So I was, again, off to my lesson and I cradled it in my hand, rolled one hand all the way down to my vet before I went to my lesson. And, and I, it started to bleed from the mouth and I and I, I took it to my, to uh, gave it to the girl and she says, you know what she said? Oh my God, I hope it lives. She says, is this what a bluebird looks like? I've never seen one. Yes. Oh, yes. it just touched my heart, yes. but it succumbed. But it was a beautiful specimen. It was a, it was a male, and it was just full of those gorgeous, beautiful colors that they possess. And uh, at least he didn't die in the street. And that's all yeah. I cared about. Yeah. Even in that regard, that we we pick them up, and we make sure they have a shot of living. They may not, you know, their injuries may be too grave, but I think to. See speak again of respect that we cared enough to pick up that animal so it was in a place when it died yes or it is is something that speaks of that being humane yeah and you know in california i hate these little stories but they're real fast real quick i i was uh I was coming home, and there was in my hometown a pigeon, and the cars were going around. It was in the middle of the street. It was just cars were just like going around it, and I thought, well, and it, what's going on? So I picked up the pigeon, didn't know what was wrong, and then I took it home, and I played music for it and let it sleep in the cage that I had, and it slept in the cage uh, all night. I had music for it. Next day, took it into the vet because it was, like, late, and uh, I don't think they I could get in or something was going on, and um, uh, brought it in, and, and they said, well... It's a healthy pigeon. It's just that it ate a lot and it's drunk. It must have eaten something that shouldn't <laughs> oh have eaten goodness. it. So his crop was full. And he was <laughs> so happy ending there. They let Yay. it go. <laughs> so I'm I'm looking. You know, I'm looking uh, you up on the internet, and there's an article from NYC Audubon shows you She's got a peregrine with a kestrel as a uh, as a peregrine. Peregrine or a kestrel uh, oh, yeah. on your on your sleeve. So tell us about hawks and birds of prey coming back to New York. We we heard so much about pale male, and uh, is is this new that hawks are finally coming back? Well, of course, DDT. Once DDT was banned, it, life improved for the ospreys and for the hawks and eagles, of course. But New York offers falcons and the red-tailed hawks. A wonderful environment. Lots of pigeons. (laughs) Lots of pigeons, exactly, and rats. Uh, So one thing that uh, New York City Audubon is quite proud of is that we have more pairs of nesting peregrine falcons than any other city. Mm -hmm. I wondered how that population was doing. That's great. It's over 20, and I don't even have last year's count, well over 20. We get about half a dozen a year. Most of them are the youngsters who have left their nest for the first time and didn't land so well. They often land, which is kind of cute, on corporate terraces. And the people are out having their lunch on the terrace. And then in comes this little guy, and he's like, oh, I don't know what to do now. I can't get back to my nest. And they'll bring it in, and we call the DEC, and the DEC, will they're banded. All those young birds are banded. Occasionally we get one that's not banded, but the DEC will then bring it back and put it back in its nest. They know where it came from, huh? They know exactly where it came from. Almost all the bridges have a peregrine hutch. You know, it's a a nest box for them to be in. And then it's top of the sixes, uh, 
five wall street uh nyu there are different places where the peregrines have their nests established and have been there for many years so the same nesting pair come back and they get visited every june by chris natareski who climbs up the top of the bridges or he gets to the top of the buildings like the spire building and he will put the bands on the young and the parent generally the females on at that point will just step to the side because he's seen chris before and waits patiently as he bands the youngsters as quickly as he can and then he leaves a pile of defrosted dead mice (laughs) and the peregrine is like yes thank you and he says i got meals for my kids for the next two days they know they're getting paid in mice to have the babies get their bands on and they're actually patient so what are the different uh hawk or hunting birds in New York and how many, you know, how are each doing? Well, we, if you speak of all the raptors, um, you can separate the owls from the falcons from the hawks. In the falcon department, we're excellent in peregrine falcons. We get merlin falcons and we have great numbers of kestrel falcons Mm. where other parts of the country have declining populations of kestrels. Ours seems to be increasing. Uh, at least we're not losing as far as we know. Red-tailed hawks, we have the greater density of red-tailed hawks probably than anywhere in the country. Uh, they know they have to share the space. And great numbers have come from that famous hawk, pale male. They, mm. they figure it's well into the 30s of youngsters that he's raised and have succeeded. Uh, and then there, the more rarer ones are Cooper, Cooper's hawks that come through that are more like a falcon than a hawk. Yeah, that's real rare. And the uh, red-shouldered hawk, uh, sharp-shinned and such. But uh, the red tail is our most common bird, and it is like a puppy dog <laughs> compared <laughs> to a Cooper's hawk or red-shouldered hawk. So but they're our most common uh, falcon that is seen by people. Do you get kites? Have never gotten one. Oh, no. good, good. Mm. Glad. Well, that's no. good. That's good. Yes, good for the kites, right? Yes, yeah. you bet. So I have another another question for you. Oh, I should say a little, yeah. let me just finish on sure. the owls. Come wintertime, the owls come south from Arctic areas and colder climes, and they think of New York as their Florida in the winter. <laughs> now, do, so, they, uh, do they build nests or do they borrow? No, or? no they're just here They'll breed up north, but they come down here for more prey and for warmer temperatures. So Mm. we may think it's a very cold winter, but it's not as bad as it is, you know, 10 hours north of here. So we had a long-eared owl the other day who smashed into a window. Mm. We released it. We've had snowy owls, uh, sawwit owls, barn owls, and they're mostly, they're traveling through, but they will hit our buildings, which is rough. Mm. But they... They more make it than don't make it, so it's good for that. Good. So I was um, out in Brooklyn a few days ago, and I saw a flock of pigeons circling. And so we all remember from the movie, Marlon Brando movie on the waterfront. Pigeon coops. People keeping pigeons in coops, and they let them out to exercise. And I used I my apartment overlooks Brooklyn, and I used to see... um, groups, whatever, flocks of pigeons doing that circling. I don't see them anymore. Is it people are not keeping them the way they used to, or 
Do you know what's going on there? The numbers have definitely decreased, um, and people mourn that loss. Uh, people who, I wish we still had it, but it's the population, it was particularly Italian and Hispanic, and the numbers just have gone down. It's probably because young people aren't that interested in it. Again, a disconnect with nature. But you will still see a flock rise to the air and circle and change its direction all together in unison. But they're generally a street flock that does it for their own exercise, their own benefit. And so one should not stop looking up because they're still there. Although it's a street flock where someone in our neighborhood, uh, they're being fed around 86 in Columbus. So we see them every day up in the sky. Morning and evening. That's when they do it. They do it morning and evening. And if a a hawk comes by or predator comes by, they will also go up and do that too, particularly red-tailed hawks, because the red-tailed hawk has to capture by swooping down to the ground. Peregrine will do it in the air, but even then, it's greater, better numbers when you're all together. Yeah. So um, our guest is Rita McMahon. Rita... uh, Tell us, uh, our listeners, what your uh, web address is and how you do fundraising, how they can donate, how they might get on your list for uh, event, you know, to go to your benefits, or, things or like that. Or volunteer even. I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's people that would love to. I would be there, Rita, if I, didn't, if I weren't teaching voice all day long. But I, it's, my job is to teach opera singers. Although <laughs> Alyssa's good. not sure she can handle the birds that don't make it. Oh, well, I, I've done it in the sanctuary. I've yeah. done it. It's, it's hard, but I get over it, you know. Yeah. We are volunteers. So, yes, we like having volunteers, and, and it's more and more people that are brought to the cause that way. To volunteer, you would go to our website first. And that website is www.wildbirdfund.org. And there one can do donations. One can also see information. It's a lot of information, what to do if you find a baby bird and what to do if you find an injured bird. That all pops up right away. And there are stories there, too, of different cases which are interesting to see. And it has a lot of information. We, if one becomes a member or if one, uh, members, we love members because members guarantee that the rent gets paid. And that is a big help. And the members have member privileges, though. We have member nights most every other month, and it's one talk or uh, artist or uh, authority in the field who will speak about, like, the birds of New York, Susan Elbin, who's professor of ornithology. Um, we have photographers. We have a monthly art show, which is always animal-related, and members get notices of releases. So when we release the long-eared owl on New Year's Day, Unfortunately, we had like 30 people show up for the release, uh, and we went out in the evening just at twilight, and they got to see the owl leave, Mm. Uh, and she was magnificent, and she flew over us, looking at us all, wondering what, why are there all these people watching me, (laughs) and then she went and hid for a while, and we got to watch her fly and be there, and it was lovely. Uh, It was quite a nice way to usher in the new year. Great. Also, I've missed a lot of those because I I get the 
the announcement. It's just a little too late for me to change my schedule. I can't call a student and tell them, you know, no, you can't have a lesson. I'm going to see the, I'll get released. Uh, oh, there, you're very uh, right. We yeah. have to, the truth of the matter is, if the animal's ready to go, we're it's not going to hold it back. Oh, maybe so, I'll get to see one one time. Sometimes we know in two days we should be able to release because it'll finish the medicine. But generally when the vet says this bird can leave, he's gone. I mean, we send them out. Yeah. So we give, it's, it's hard on the members, but they still show. Yeah. Sometimes they have all of two or three hours notice beforehand that this uh, red-throated loon is going to be released or... Yeah, I, last... get, these, I get these great uh, uh, emails because I, th- I think I'm a member. I think I became a member. You must be, yeah. I think I if am. If you're so... getting invitations to releases, you're yeah. a member. Yes. Yeah. And, and for the... Um, Cooper's Hawk, it was three hours before she was released, but it still showed up. Six people came. So uh, that was good. Smaller crowds are better than larger crowds. Sometimes the bird is, when we release it, and then it looks back because they do not see the people who are there. They may have heard them in the background, but they do not see them. And we'll open the box, and they fly out of the box, and they go up in the air, and they're doing a victory lap. And you see them look at the people down below and say, oh, my goodness, what are you doing here? And then they go off. So. Great. Um, Other ways, I should say there yeah. are many foundations who help us. And in particular, uh, they've been with us for many years, and they just do continued support, which I'm very grateful to. And then Daniel O'Donnell our our senator from New York, he has gotten 150000 for us to build a new wildlife ER. Oh, my Which goodness. is, we're building it now. And Where's that going to be? It's going to, we, we leased the adjoining storefront, which was previously a laundry. Mm. And now that is going to be our new operating room, x-ray room, and intensive care. So which, let's um, remind our listeners that if you are in New York... On Columbus Avenue, which is the Upper West Side, near 87th Street, 565 Columbus Avenue, there's the um, uh, Wild Bird Fund, and it's a, just a great place. It's a it's an ER for birds, but it's I'm I'm sure you don't want people just trooping in there, but maybe they can look through the window. But they're walking around and having a good time. The ones that aren't in bad shape in the basement. But uh, it's such a delight seeing all those birds and seeing them interact with people. And we're so impressed with your personnel there. When we brought yes. our pigeon in, the, uh, the, the woman vet squashed it down on a stainless steel table and ran her <coughs> thumb over every bone. said, well, you know, out on the wings, there's no broken bones. And a pigeon was very cooperative. He looked, he looked, you know, mature, but he was probably no, it was very juvenile. young. He was a juvenile. Yeah, uh-huh. he looked like a full-grown pigeon, but he was still very young. Yeah. And uh, so the people there were a delight. And um, so, Rita, anything else you want to uh, say? We have a few more minutes before we wrap up. Well, there are a couple of little hints one can have as to how to, in fact, rescue a bird. Oh, good. Mm, very good. So, uh, one, the most simply, if you see a little songbird laying on its side on the sidewalk, you should pick it up. And it's a very simple test to determine whether it's alive or dead. If the legs move, it's alive. It's just unconscious. If the legs do not move, it's in rigor, and it's dead. It's gone. 
But if the legs move, you can save this bird by simply putting it in your pocket and keeping it warm. The main way they die is from hypothermia, that their mm. body temperature drops too far. And if they're unconscious because they're hanging their head, they will die. But if they're unconscious and they stay warm, they're going to probably come back in 20 minutes. And then you have a, you know, get them out of your pocket when you can and put them in a paper bag or a box and just let them rest. And then when you hear that tip, 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 running around inside the bag, you know you got somebody who's hale and hearty. Yeah. And you can bring them into a bathroom, a closed room, close the door, let him out of the bag and see what he does. And if he's flying around, then turn off the light so you can catch him again, put him back in the bag, and you can release him. That's right. perfect. Great. And then the other thing with the baby birds, when you see a little guy hopping around and it's fully feathered, that's a fledgling. Very different than a nestling. A fledgling is on the ground for three to five to even seven days as its parents feed it on the ground and teach it the way of bird life. It's like, you know, get out of the rain, don't talk to strangers, stay over in this corner, I'll be back in a minute, and then we'll go off and fly. But people pick them up, and the, and the young fledglings aren't afraid of people. They haven't learned that yet from their parents, and they'll willingly go. But if, they're, if the bird's fully feathered, hopping around, animated, he should stay there. If it's not animated, if it's slumped over, eyes closed, fluffed up, then it could well be injured or dehydrated, and it does need help. The ones that definitely need help are the little nestlings, and they're kind of naked. You see the bare skin. The feathers aren't fully out. They're also not hopping around. Those birds either need to go back in the nest or to be brought to a wildlife rehabber. But the ones that are hopping around animated, even though there's a lot going on there, that's what their life is. It's life on the street, and we should leave them where they are, where their parents can take care of them. Great. That is so Some. informative. Yeah. People should just, you should have a, you should give a, a course in uh, the ethology of, of birds and how to do this just so people and can learn. And how we should live with them, right? And yeah. And really see their life as intertwined with ours. Right. So this has been wonderful. My guests have been my beautiful opera singer wife. Who Paul said, Sigmaldi. we have to call this lady and have her interviewed. That's what I said. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, my idea. Uh, Rita McMahon, who is co-founder of the um, Wild Bird Fund, that you'll find at wildbirdfund.org. And if that doesn't work, just put it in Google. They're in Manhattan, and they're a place where... New Yorkers can bring a bird, an injured bird, if they find it. So, Rita, thank you for being with us, and uh, we look forward to uh, your continued growth and your wonderful activities. And I hope we can meet her someday. Yeah, well, we'll I'd go like up that. there again. Great. Very thank good. You. Thank you, John and Alyssa. Oh, okay. you're so welcome. Thank you. Okay, so this has been Visionaries. See you next week. <laughs>